Welcome to Connected. My name is Mia. I'm your host and the founder of Connected AU. This podcast, Connected, is here to give you the beautiful feeling of community in your ears. I will be chatting with some incredible people and the aim is just for you to feel as though you are sitting with us, having a cup of tea and good conversation. There are no bells and whistles on this podcast. It isn't scripted and doesn't have any crazy producing. It's just good conversation and we are so glad you are here. Good morning, everyone. It is my absolute pleasure to be introducing our guest this morning, Liz Hayes. For more than four decades, Liz has been one of the most recognisable faces on our television screens. From her early days co-hosting Channel 9's Today Show to her enduring legacy of investigative journalism on 60 Minutes for over 25 years, Liz has been a steadfast presence in the world of media. In her long-awaited memoir, she invites us to journey behind the cameras and into her own captivating life. From daring escapades in grizzly bear territory to sipping tea with an Afghani warlord, her life has been a thrilling odyssey filled with stories that span the globe. You've shared triumphs and tribulations of celebrities and movie stars, world leaders and politicians, heroes and villains alike. This book is more than just a tale of her journalistic adventures. It peels back the layers of her public persona to reveal the woman behind the camera. Now, Liz, I'm going to start with saying that I feel utterly underqualified to be chatting to you today. I won't dare say interviewing, but I will quote you when I say that this morning I thought, I'm going to give this interview my best shot, even though I've got internal knots in my stomach because it's too good of an opportunity. Thank you, thank you. It really is my pleasure, and I genuinely loved your book. From a media perspective in the world of television, that background, even society, I'm sure it would have been captivating, but for reasons other than why I found it such a fantastic book, I'm not from that world. And though I found it really interesting, the media history and culture and people, I came at the book from a human nature perspective focused on you and your you as a person. And so from that lens, I absolutely wholeheartedly love the book, every page. I recommend everyone who's listening to grab a copy. It would be a, an amazing Christmas present. I loved it because of the stories and the view that we were given of you. You weaved your personal life throughout the book. And even though I've heard you say in other interviews that it's a book about your career with a little bit of personal life, your characteristics are written into every one of those stories. So there's so much to learn about you from the stories you tell about other people. And by the end of the book, I had a really good sense of your nature determination, resilience, curiosity, a love of learning, transparency, genuine and humble. And I honestly feel truly privileged to be chatting to you today. So thank you for giving me some time this morning. Mia, where do I begin to thank you for that fabulous and very quite insightful pricey of my book? Because I didn't, you're right, I didn't set out to, it is not meant to be a tell-all or anything like that. And I wanted to let readers know a bit more about me as you travelled with me, if you like, because who I am and who we are as people is probably what interests all of us. Yes, I've done some extraordinary things, but I wanted, if I could, explain or help people understand what it's like to be in those places. And then to understand that a bit more, you had to understand me. You had to know where I came from. You had to know a bit more about what informed my thinking, the experiences I've had that makes me feel the way I feel and say the things I say. So you're right. I hope we've hit the balance where you come from my ride, but you feel like you might be sitting beside someone you know. 
You really do feel like that by the end of the book. So for those listening, the early chapters paint a picture of an idyllic, you would say, life as a child. And I actually found myself really understanding and relating to that. I grew up in a small country town called Dunedoo, which has about 800 people, which you'd probably familiar with Dunedoo. And it was very similar. When you look back at it, you feel really lucky. It's a safe place. Everyone knows everyone and everyone supports everyone. So I really related to that. And I feel like you painted such a strong picture of that and referenced it so much throughout the book. Well, it was. It still is at the core of who I am. I am a country town girl and everything that informed me for my uh, older life came from there. My parents are quintessentially country town people, farmers, and all my childhood experiences were uh, all came from this tight-knit, isolated family for a long time on my experiences. And my family were, like so many country people, strong, resilient, self-effacing people. And I had that absolutely drilled into me <laughs> as a kid. But the thing that I reflected upon after all these years is it didn't matter where I'd been or what I'd done or who I'd come across. My parents and so many others like them didn't covet other people's lives, but they made the most of what they had. And you know what? That, I think they had a pretty good time. Yes, there were some difficulties. Yes, there was no money. But yes, their friendships and their basic human kindness created a world that I found hard to replicate outside with that crazy world that I did inhabit as a international journalist, basically. Absolutely. I suppose it would have kept you really grounded. You regularly went home back for visits and they wouldn't have treated you any different to the Beth growing up. So do you feel like that actually really benefited you and made you quite lucky compared to possibly others that didn't have that strong tie? Oh, absolutely. Without doubt, there is a lottery in life, and that is about the family you're born into, the parents you get, the circumstances, and it's not the same for everybody. We all know that. But certainly where I was created and came to life was in as good a place as I could probably hope for, and I was running barefoot. I was wearing a lot of hand-me-downs. We ate food from the land. We didn't know what a lolly was until Dad would come home from sailing sometimes and won. But it became my safe place, and I always went home, and that's where I really was grounded. That's where I would remember what was important. And if I thought I was on the edge, and a couple of times I did feel that, it was as if I walked into the emergency department and got a Band-Aid <laughs> or something whenever I would go home. My parents would remind me of what mattered and absolutely captured me at the right moment to remind me life was pretty good for me. And I might have copped a few slaps on the way through. I can cop that. I can cope with that. And what mattered is what they reminded me about. Yeah, absolutely, which is gratitude. And you're right, I think some families, just it's just inbuilt and in communities. And I guess for you, with the stories that you were exposed to throughout your whole career, I read that in the lines of, of a lot of the stories that you were telling. It's funny when you spoke about maybe the first decade where you got your first job and then at 10 and, and you spoke of a few fumbles, I suppose, or being a what would you say, a doe-eyed country girl and making a few naive mistakes. But I sometimes think that people 
view people from the country with a really lovable view and that sometimes other people, outside people, really enjoy the honesty and transparency and even if you are making a bit of a fool of yourself or you're not possibly the most skilled at a particular thing, I think people actually find that endearing. Since I've started Connect Today, I've done lots of chats with different people and some interviews and things and I just am myself and talk just however I normally talk and and honest about things and and how difficult things have been or positive. And I feel like people really enjoy that because more people than not, I suppose, aren't aren't that way, aren't just themselves and transparent. Authentic. (laughs) You know what, perfect word, authentic, yeah, and it sounded like when you first went into the media world, you would have probably just been so different to most people. Well, to begin with, I was from the country and television was in the city I was an unsophisticated girl. (laughs) I came to the city, I was just in early 20s, very early 20s, and a lot of things I didn't even know. I just had not had life experience, and the experience I had came from a country town. I was not a sophisticated young person. I was not dumb, and I was educated well, but I just hadn't had the wherewithal all the experience that my city girlfriends did. Yeah, I'd be laughed at a little bit. I was laughed at in the country town, if you might remember. I was on an island at, in a little school, and I'd then go to a high school, which is in the town, because our farm was outside of the town. And even I was a little laughed at there because I was clearly very unsophisticated. So I had to learn a few things along the way. Look, it's okay. I just needed to wise up, I think. But I didn't lose the core of who I was. And I'm really proud of that. And the reason I say I'm proud of that, because I think it is easy to get lost, particularly when you're swallowed up in an international world. But I was blessed to hang on to it. It's such an uncomfortable feeling, isn't it? Not feeling like you fit in. And I can totally relate to that. I remember going to uni and I guess you don't know what you don't know. And and it's such an uncomfortable feeling. And I feel like really it's just age, I think. I'm 37 now and I feel so much more comfortable with myself now than I did 10 years ago. And I'm sure as it progresses, you just care less perhaps about what other people think. But I'm sure in your early 20s, diving into that world, it would have been uncomfortable to start off with. Yeah. And learning to say no. That took a long time because I was raised in a family where you never said no, not that I was put in positions where I should have been saying no, I, that would come later, but you just, you're obliging. And it took me a while to realise there were times where I could say, no, I, actually, I don't want to do that. that. That makes me uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about anything controversial at this point, but it took me a while to realise that I probably don't need to go to the pub tonight. <laughs> it took ages to say no. <laughs> But I did get it. <laughs> I wonder if it was tied into your determination. One of the things as I went through the book, the early chapters and, and the midsection was your determination. I loved it and I feel like it's been with you in all of your stories from being determined to follow your older brother around and falling in a trough and then to finding a spot in television, which wouldn't have been easy. And then the majority of your interviews would have had a determination where you say, like how I felt this morning talking to you, I'm just going to do this. I want whatever the goal is. I'm doing this difficult thing, chatting to people in war zones, ducking for cover and fleeing those chilling scenarios in helicopters. And even some of the stories you've told about 
people with those heinous backgrounds, they all would have just had this determination to do the difficult thing for a bigger vision, I suppose. And some of the quotes that I loved in your book were things like, have a go, give it a crack give it a shot and that you are glad that you hadn't been flattened by failure, I think is a quote that I loved. And it's all just determination, isn't it? And resilience. It is. There are many times, I think, for all of us where we could give up and decide, okay, I'm not good enough. Or the expectation is I'm not going to make it anyway or whatever. But I look, I did learn that even when I was running as a little kid, that if I didn't do my best, whilst I might have been okay about it, I could see I could let down Dad. He, he loved to see me win and stuff like that. And then I would feel bad and then I'd think I did let myself down a bit. That incrementally got under my skin and I did know that I was that person who would wish I hadn't let myself down. Being embarrassed is not going to kill you. <laughs> There's always a chance you'll walk away going, oh, gosh, I blew that or I made a fool of myself. But actually... Most people are quite understanding, yeah, particularly when they can see you're trying. Trying is makes a world of difference. I think some world leaders have responded quite well to me knowing that I'm trying to understand and I'm doing my best here and, if anything, lean into you a bit more. But, yeah, I think if there's one thing I would like, it would be kids like me at that time who are there today thinking, oh, I'm not good enough or I nobody will take any notice of me or I could never do that. I'd like them to say, I'd like them to know you can actually, and you might not get it right the first time around, but you might by the third or the fourth. And that's what life's about really. Don't be held back by fear. No. And I think the more times you actually do fail, the more comfortable you then (laughs) get with it. I think resilience and determination go hand in hand because to be determined and keep that, you have to be resilient because no one has a free ride. No matter if people look like they have really easy lives, everyone has challenges. And so I think resilience is part of determination. And I feel like you have so much resilience from the stories. Have you felt it really strong always? No, no, of course not. I have on occasion without doubt thought to myself, I'm not going to put myself in that position again or risk embarrassment or risk making a fool of myself, whatever it is, or wondering whether I'm hanging in there longer than I should. I think we all wax and wane a little. I do not have that in the confidence and never have. I have questioned myself. I have had to talk to myself a little bit or and to others to say, I'm not sure I can do that. But if I want to do it, that's usually been where I have to start. Do I want to do that? And if so, how to give it your best and be prepared for it, yes, not to work out. But it's okay. There have been times when I've literally thought I'll walk away and I won't try that because that sounds a bit too hard or I'm a bit worried about it and I've regretted it. And I I only did that once or twice and I thought that's worse than failing, (laughs) regretting that I didn't give it a shot. Yeah, and you you would have then thought about that in future times when you're making similar decisions. But I feel like the stories you've told, honestly, brave is a word I would use for all of the things you've done. Some of your adventures and experiences, you would have had to just be so brave to put yourself in situations and say yes to things. So I feel like you're so far ahead of the rest of us in terms of putting yourself out there and giving things a go. No, I've just been put in situations, I think, peculiar 
not expected situations. I'm no braver, no more resilient than you or anyone else. In fact, I view myself as quite the coward. But I have had to sort of go, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to have to do So as I buckle into that aircraft that's about to do a control crash landing, they called it onto an aircraft carrier, I'm in the flight thinking, I know everything that I've been told means that we might hit the deck of this aircraft carrier speeding up so as if you don't collect this arresting rope that's supposed to stop you from going over the edge, you have enough power to still take off. But if you don't have enough power to still take off, you'll land in the ocean, which is a whole other terrifying moment. They do that. Everyone ready to go? Yeah. And I'm like, no, but I have to. <laughs> I'm in now. And I, I look at my crew that I'm traveling with and they're so excited. <laughs> they're, you know, this is a boy's own adventure. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm here doing this. But I just go, I, okay. Um, if I'd said, no, I can't do this, I would have let everybody down. I, I, I The story couldn't be told. I had to do it in my mind. I just felt I just have to do it. And not only did I do it once, but I ended up doing it twice. And both times I still question why I was doing it. So there, that, that sounds, there are, there are those moments. Like being in Afghanistan, being shot at, well, I, to be honest, I was a bit naive. I had that moment of, that's gunfire. <laughs> so you do find yourself in uh, situations where the flight or fight, and none of that's good, by the way. That's gut churning. That's stuff that you frightens the hell out of you later. We, it is later where you go, oh, my God, <laughs> I've had an extraordinary life and I've done things I would never normally do. And as a tourist, you would never go there. But I see now how, how actually quite lucky I have been. And I'm glad I could share a little bit of that because, like other people, I like to read about things they've done that I could never have done. Absolutely. And also to read it in a condensed version. Like in my introduction, I said, we've seen you for so long and we are all so familiar with you and we've known these things that you've done. But to have it in just this really comprehensive condensed version actually made it seem so much greater reading them all and putting it all together. I feel like the harder something is, the better it is on the other side. They give you the best sense of accomplishment. So you would have had that wonderful feeling so many times, just feeling so proud of yourself for doing something that was difficult. Without doubt, there is a level of euphoria that follows having survived. <laughs> yeah, but it's more than just it's more than just not having died, which is always a plus. <laughs> but it is about achieving, as you say, big or small making the cake, riding the extra K on the horse, whatever. It, it's all the same. It's that stuff that does make you go, oh, I did it. And that is really a lovely moment in life. It is. And it's persistence, I suppose. Another thing I found that I loved learning about you was I feel like you love learning. I suppose you'll probably look back and think you had a lifelong love of learning and curiosity because all of the stories you told, every person – even if they were vastly different, you were really interested and curious to talk to them. And also if they were really difficult, I found when you spoke about Elisa Baker, is it, describing what your thoughts were and considering going to speak with her, 
and just how heinous of a crime that was. And for those who aren't familiar, she was found guilty of murdering her young stepdaughter and then disposing of her body in a very heartbreaking way. You wrote that whilst you were apprehensive and unsure and just couldn't imagine sitting down talking to someone like that, that you were also curious to see what was it that she wanted to get out there and what was the perspective that she was wanting to tell. And I suppose to get a bit of an insight into her mind, which was you just wanted to learn, I suppose, a bit about her. Those moments would have been so difficult. I personally can't imagine putting myself in that situation and being composed and not letting your emotions sort of take over that moment? Well, it is hard. Prisons are a foreign place to me and I've had to step inside a few of them and every time I never feel comfortable. I I feel like I am on the edge. There's always this unknown because it is a place I do not spend much time. And America has a very open system, particularly when it comes to the media. I didn't expect that we would be allowed to interview her and I didn't expect that she would want to. Which goes to who she is a bit. Yes, she did want to talk about it because she wanted us to believe it wasn't her. She wanted us to believe she didn't do this. So she was clinging to this and she knew the Australian audience was important in believing her because that's where Zara and her father came from. So I did step into that. Of course, I had to do all the research because I knew she'd try and potentially snow me with her side of the story. So I had all of that ready. But She pleaded guilty, but it was a plea deal, so she didn't get the death penalty, to be frank. But I hadn't anticipated how I would feel. At first, I thought, well, it's a bit brave of her to step forward. And then I realised it's not bravery. (laughs) This is a woman who's probably thinking, this is going to be easy. I'll roll this person over with my version of what occurred. And then I realised, wow, I can't let this woman get away with this. And then I just kept looking at her and waiting and she went through all those emotions. I could see her manipulating me. She was trying to manipulate me before my eyes and all it did was make me more determined (laughs) that she not get away with that. But they are confronting me. The serial killers that I interviewed in Australia in their prison cells were really interesting too. One, One said, yeah, I'm a monster, and the other one wanted me to really impart how sorry he was, but coming up with excuses as to why he was a serial killer. In the end, we are all human beings, though, aren't we? We're an interesting bunch, we are. (laughs) And I think that's what I loved. I loved experiencing all of us in all our guises. I worked for a time for juvenile justice, so Department of Justice, and spent some time in youth detention centres. And you're right, it's an unsettling place to be, and I don't think it matters how many times you go in there, and you can't help but feel a level of compassion, of course, for anyone that's in those situations because it's no matter what they've done, everyone does definitely have a story and there's a reason why people are where they are. And so you would have had that in a little bit of your mind, that compassion, and this is feeling a little sorry for them, I suppose, but I feel like there's just a line and some of those people that you chatted to obviously are inexcusable, so it would have been really difficult for you to do those. I find it so puzzling that she did that interview with you. Do you think she genuinely thought people would believe her? Other than her telling me why, I feel like she potentially is that person that can never tell the truth because when you tell that truth, That's a moment, isn't it, where you have to make admissions about yourself. And those admissions she would have had to have made would have been extraordinary. Now, you've got to remember that Adam, the Australian dad, 
he was like her seventh husband. She hadn't even divorced the last husband. She'd been lying for a living all her life. So getting to why she's that person is one thing, but the thing is she is that person now. So I think that whole moment of having to stop and look at yourself and go, I don't want to be that liar anymore. I don't, I want to, I just, I need to be the person I would prefer to be. I think that was a step too far because I feel whatever is behind her is so fragile. I don't think she could bear saying even to herself, I did that. I did that. But you imagine the best thing for her would be to to have that freeing moment, even though it's horrific. But yes, some people, I suppose, will never be able to do that. You spoke about Chappelle, interviewing Chappelle in those early months and years of her really difficult experience. I don't know if it would be a skill that you would learn over time at reading people and seeing what they're trying to tell you. And with Alyssa, of course, you said you just knew the entire time she was trying to manipulate you. With Chappelle, though, it sounds like you really did have a bit of compassion and understanding and she was in this really difficult situation. Oh, without doubt, when I first found her in that jail cell, she'd only been there about a month, I think it was still dawning on her what was happening here. What is she looking at? And it was not good the totality of how bad it could get hadn't hit her. But suddenly she could see ahead. If she had to spend 20 years in jail, she didn't think she could have children. She didn't know if she could ever be married. In other words, she knew, even though it was almost unbelievable, she knew what she was about to lose. And I think being a younger woman, making some poor choices through her life have potentially placed her in this very vulnerable position and suddenly understanding what being caught in this moment was going to mean. If I kind of knew within a second she would have done something differently. And I know that there are a lot of people who say Chappelle Corby is innocent. The fact of the matter is she was found guilty. But I think any poor decision she made I think at that very moment when I was talking to her, she would have paid any amount of money to go back and change that. And I think it must be that way for any young person who gets behind the wheel of a car drunk. It's that kind of moment where it it all goes wrong and it's like, if only I hadn't. And I felt like that's what I was hearing from her. She might deny that, but that's what I felt. I I was seeing and hearing and I understood how terrible that must have been. Absolutely. And we can all relate to that. No one's perfect. We've all done, everyone's done things that they're like, oh, I regret that. But I feel like regret is something that everyone has felt. And also understanding how silly decisions can impact life, but none of us would have felt it in that enormity of the death penalty. And you're right, taking 20, 30 years out of her life over decisions. Yeah, absolutely. She seems like a really interesting person and I'm sure you would have found that really enjoyable getting to know her and witnessing that, but also really difficult just witnessing someone's life. I think we all knew there was no easy out here and it didn't matter who said what or whatever light could be shone on areas of what occurred. It just wasn't going to change how this young woman was going to be in a Bali prison 
And it didn't. And I think quite honestly, the ramifications of that were acutely felt, but mostly by her. She was the one, I think, that had to survive her own mind. Um, She really, I believe, suffered mentally very badly. And it did change her life and change the lives of her family even. And I think that if there was something to take from it, I would like to think, although history showed that it, it didn't happen immediately, that we all would go, that's not what we would want for us, and we might make wise decisions. It's such a waste, isn't it? But you don't know it at the time when you're about to do something crazy. Potentially that's how it's going to land. Yes, the thought process, I suppose. I'm so conscious of your time and it's early and you've been so generous with me already, but I just have a couple more questions. Community and connection is obviously what we do and we sort of see that community means so it means different things to different people, whether you're connected to people around you, family, friends, your work, the environment, your town, so many different things. And I've spoken to a few people recently and as an example, Bronte Campbell and her connection to the water, and she genuinely has this connection to being underwater and the sensations and that none of us would share. And so I wonder if for you, connection, if it means something different to you, if it's about people and their stories and the importance you place on connection, I suppose. My whole career has been based on connections, and that is no matter who I'm talking to, or no matter what scene I'm at or situation I'm in, as a storyteller, my job is to try and connect. For me to be able to pass that connection on to you, it needs to connect to me as well. And I find I can almost connect too much (laughs) on occasions. And what I mean by that is I suddenly find myself like the Lint Cafe siege where those hostages, I had to sort of pull myself out a little bit of, when listening to their stories because suddenly I was, I, I felt the terror because I realised that could have been any one of us, those sorts of situations. So connection to me has been about sitting opposite you, hopefully understanding and, and hearing where we're going in our conversation and what what will connect with you as well as with me. I, I think that's what life's about. When it, if even if the postman arrives, we make some sort of connection. Uh, well, I do. <laughs> Where I say, "Okay, how are you today?" Believe it or not, I like that. I've got time. It's not a hard thing to do. Connection, I think, is with for me. It's with other people to let them know they're good people. I haven't had a reason today to not say hello. <laughs> uh, mostly, I'm that person who smiles at people. I like my fellow human being. I'm no better than my fellow human being. I'm one of you. I'm just privileged to be able to talk to you. And I'm equally blessed that you will trust me to tell me your story that I will tell others. So my connection is absolutely to a human being. It's I sit opposite people all the time, every day, and I'm looking and hearing and watching, and it's all feeding into my understanding of how you are. If you're uncomfortable today, I'm going to try and make it not so bad for you. If you're frightened or if you're upset, or I'm going to try and work out how I can make that better because a better you will be a, a greater interview for me. 
the thing I have learned, uh, and it's it's always been there, but I've been reminded of it as I've travelled, is judgment. Judgment is a beast. And I, I don't judge people. I try not to judge people. I think we all make preliminary judgments, perhaps, but I'm always ready to find out first. That, that doesn't mean I don't have a that doesn't feel good to me <laughs> moment, but I don't have classes of people in my mind at all. I just think we're all here together. And ounce of kindness makes a world of difference. And it's just a hello sometimes. I love that. It's so refreshing to hear that. We are all the same. And I think it's such a good quality that you have to just take people at face value. I feel like that's the country side of you because growing up, you don't care about lots of things that as you grow up and grow in society, you think start to matter, I suppose, or other people think really matter. What kind of car you drive or clothes you have or designer this or travel experiences or whatever. When you're young, you just don't have that in the country. I don't think I can't speak for people that grew up in the city, but I certainly didn't. It sounds like you didn't. And I think that's why you can then meet anyone with just at face value. And I think that's kind of helped me a little bit talking to some people that I've spoken to because even though I might get a bit nervous, I also just think they're just another person. And once you start chatting, you're totally fine. Um, Yeah, so it's just wonderful to hear that. And I wonder how have you felt through this experience of the book wanting people to connect with you then? I suppose you've just shifted, you've turned the dynamic and you want the community to connect with you. Has it been a little bit difficult or you were really comfortable sharing your story? I guess I shared that which I was comfortable with and given it isn't, as I said, it's not a tell-all and I am thoughtful about others. There are some stories that are just not mine to tell and I'm not big on throwing everybody under a bus because, hey, A bus should have backed over me a couple of times. I saw this as a story I could tell at a place and a time that was felt good and comfortable for me. Actually, there were not enough pages available to write every bloody story, I'm going to tell you. But I felt like I handed to my readers enough, and I don't mean that by overloading or whatever. I just felt comfortable with giving you who I am I am normal. I've had to work hard. I haven't had it handed to me. I've been frightened. I felt totally underdone sometimes, totally unsophisticated. And with every step, I learn a bit more. So I thought that was a reasonable thing to tell anybody. I didn't turn up all shiny and new. I turned up as a human being that had a long road to walk uh, before I became whoever I am now. I'm not that far from where I started, I must say. You wouldn't feel it. No one does, I don't think. But I felt like you were really transparent and really generous with what you did share. And it was a beautiful balance. It was, I'm not from the media world, so if it had been completely about your career and who's who and the inner workings of the media, perhaps that wouldn't have interested me so much. So I feel like as a community, and there's such varied groups and communities, there is something for everyone in this book. So it really is a good book because it's got that family, it's got that childhood, that really interesting who you were, and then obviously all the amazing stories from celebrities and war zones. Like There's so much there. So I think you did an incredible job, and I also think really respectful. None of the stories I don't think painted anyone in a bad light other than those few 
<laughs> yeah, the serial killers, those few criminals we spoke about, they obviously couldn't be done well. But everyone else I think you're really respectful of. Even, what's his name, Richard Brand? That was probably the only one that, you know what, he walked out and we finished the interview and that was it. That's the only one that was a bit of a, you know what, negative sort of ending. Well, yeah, look, just going back a bit too, remember I did, I was driving what was considered a bogan car and got a company car as a result. So it wasn't all bad turning up authentic. But I guess you're right. It doesn't mean I'm sugar sweet. Uh, I'm not sugar sweet. But at the same time, I think as all, as human beings, again, you get a, an honest understanding of where I've come from, what I've done, how I've had to dance a little through life and that's why I don't pretend I haven't been married and divorced. I don't pretend some less than pleasant things haven't happened to me because that's true. A lot of heartache is in there but having said all of that, yes, it's not a warts and all but it's a it's a, I think a fair assessment of <laughs> where we're at. It's generous because it's helpful to other people when they hear challenges or, or things mightn't have been so easy. It would be easy to see you on the screens and imagine that it's natural for you and that things were really easy. And you even mentioned just your nerves at the beginning and just not feeling qualified for things and just really being nervous to do things. It's helpful to everyone because even this morning jumping on here, I was like, oh, it reminded me of I obviously was nervous chatting to you. And so it reminded me that You'd also been nervous in your life. And I'm sure readers who may have been divorced multiple times will enjoy and it'll help them reading that because when you normalize things, you would know this. You've been in that world and normalizing things is helpful to everybody. So I thought it was just really generous of you to share all that. And it wouldn't be easy being in the public eye and sharing things like that. But I think it'll, I think from now on watching you on the screens, for me certainly, I will now feel familiar with you, I suppose, watching you and might interpret things a bit differently or wonder how she felt preparing for that interview or what that was like for you, just because we feel like we know you a little bit better. So it was really generous of you. The other thing underwritten in everything was your sense of community. Everyone you spoke about, you kind of tie in with community from the different colleagues you had, the teams when you went to the Today Show and then 60 Minutes, you speak about these little teams of people and the little communities that you built and how they sort of got you through. And then even when you're talking about traveling and the different support networks you have when you travel and then with your friendships, and it seems as though you do view the world as well through community and the different wonderful community groups that you've been part of. And I'm guessing now you must have such a wonderful community around you and people in your life. I do, and they come from diverse places, and they're made up of all sorts of interesting people, and I cherish them all. At Under Investigation, for example, it's a program I'm doing, I work with a number of young people. I love them. They're constantly feeding me great ideas, information. I like hearing other viewpoints. I want to know how young people feel about the world and how they see things. And we always, it's part of what we do is you are valued and we want to hear, yes, we've got the experience and, yes, we'll probably have to make the decisions. But along the way, I want to hear, I want the input. I want to know what you think about this. Well, what do you reckon? Because that's how we are communicating with everybody. I would like to think that we have a better chance of communicating well if we take in everybody as best as possible. I come from a dairy farm. Pets, animals, fabulous. 
but my favourite are people. <laughs> and I draw my energy and my gratitude from other people. I love when you speak about your younger colleagues. I think it's because you value people. I feel like you value people. And so you're open to listening to less experienced people's viewpoints and other perspectives. It's just valuing people. And I feel like when you spoke about your early career, you probably sometimes weren't given that value. I think society's changing for the better now, but there were certainly times, especially in male-dominated areas, where it was probably just not a, a really comfortable place for younger people and were often dismissed and not valued. So I think they're lucky to work with you, those younger people you speak about. Look, I'm so conscious and I, I will let you go. I just have one question that we've been checking. We've been asking everyone. I've been asking everyone who I've been talking to. So we've had about 65, 70,000 people through these programs in the last few years. And some of them, not everyone, but some of them are really quite lonely and isolated. So they join our programs and join a book club or a garden group or write a letter. And, and it's because they're isolated and lonely, which is indiscriminate. But for those people who are listening, who really probably might, who want to know ways to be connected, we've been asking people, what is their piece of advice about staying connected? And it's so interesting. I'm going to make a little list once we finish this podcast, because one of our guests said, as soon as you think about someone, let them know, even if it's just a text or an emoji, smiling face, just let them know. Because more often than not, when you're busy in busy life, you never end up getting in touch with them. And so we've found all these little piece of advice from guests and I'm wondering if you've got something that you would advise people or that you do to really stay connected. Wow, <laughs> where to begin? Look, to stay connected, and I learned this probably from 60 Minutes because I was away for so long. I could be away for months and to stay connected was purely and utterly me sending a message and it was as I would think about it. I would try and just say, any of my friends, a line of just been thinking about you, hope all is well, much love. And I, they invariably came back and just told them that I may not be around, but I'm thinking of you and uh, I can hear you. And always made sure that the door was open, always made sure that I was accessible. If there's a problem, always made it clear that I, I was available because I appreciated that. I appreciated knowing that I could have access. It might be just today a text message, although when I was traveling, there was no such thing as a mobile phone. <laughs> Back in the day, we were taught to write letters, and I don't think that's such a bad idea. Just send a handwritten note is amazing. And I just, in the country, it's really hard. You're talking about isolation. It's really hard. Sometimes you don't see people. But if you have a form of communication, use it. And people love getting messages and spontaneous messages. Don't have a reason. Just just feel if it's what you feel like doing today. So don't wait to have a reason other than you would like to say hello. Find a way of communicating because that's what's going to break it is if you're able to send a little note. If the the marmon still comes, make put a little do a few little notes that you can send off to people. If you're able to get to a phone, ring occasionally, out of the blue. If you've got a mobile, text a message. It, it actually counts. It's actually lovely. As the recipient, if the people who are sending you might think, oh, nobody wants to hear from me. Actually, as a recipient, you do. You're happy and you think, isn't that lovely? And you will more than likely respond. So take a chance. <laughs> and you more than anyone, absolutely, with your travel, 
And that's right, technology's advanced, but it would have been really difficult to stay connected. So I suppose from you, it's effort. It's make an effort. Just make an effort to keep in contact with people. That is the point. If you don't make the effort, people will think you don't want to be heard. Make the effort. And that just makes people feel special, doesn't it? Being thought of by anyone makes you feel special and valued and make the effort. That's great. Look, you've been so generous with me this morning. You've been chatting to me for an hour now. I know you will have done the PR trail for the book and I'm sure well I know you've chatted to some really incredible people on amazing platforms so I really appreciate you jumping on and doing this for everyone today I genuinely love the book and I'm grateful that I got to read it so thank you Mia uh, can I say that I'm talking to my people and I feel very grateful for the opportunity to speak to people that I wouldn't necessarily get to speak to and, and if by you we can have a conversation with a whole lot of people. I am very grateful for that. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening today. I hope this conversation has made you feel a little connected, maybe a little inspired and a big part of our community. If you haven't explored what we do at Connected AU yet, this is another reminder to go and find out what we do, whether you love letter writing, art, books, gardening, cooking, health and exercise, or even just socialising. There is seriously something for everyone. The link to our website will be in the show notes. You can find us on social media. You can even just do a quick Google search and we'll pop up. 